Good morning. We're beginning a, um, a new series, which is kind of new, but not. We've done it before, but we're revisiting um, a look at the 10 commitments. We're going to start with an overview today, and then over the next 10 weeks, we'll take the commitments one at a time. Um, why are we doing this? Because it really helps us to clarify the answer to a, a question. What does God want from us? And when you have to boil it down and try to put God's requirements of us in a terse, direct statement. What is that? And the Bible comes up with something. It says in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And as we've talked about before, knowing what counts is important. You know, if, if, if you're a football coach and as the football season gets going now, you know, what counts to a football coach is putting the ball across the goal line and stopping the other team from doing so. And we could follow that through a number of different disciplines, but when we look at it biblically, spiritually, there is a pretty direct answer. What counts? And what, what the Bible says is the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love, it, it kind of tells us about the what. And um, as we've talked before, love in the Bible is very practical. It's not just words or tongue, it's deeds and truth. And that's the way we're to love if we have the opportunity to be able to meet a need, to provide what somebody needs. We don't just say nice things, we do the things that allow that person to be served. And so that's love answers the what question. But what about the how question? And I think you would agree that knowing what, but not knowing how, doesn't help us a whole lot. We can know what God wants us to do, but if we don't know how we can do that, then the what doesn't help us a whole lot. So when it comes to the how, it, it, this verse kind of hints at it. It talks about expressing faith through love. And, and so when we deal with how, we deal with faith. Faith is, it's tricky to tack down. Faith in what? If faith is the how, what does that mean to express faith? Where do we place our faith? And what the Bible suggests is that we place our faith in promises. And that's where we root our faith. So when it talks about placing our faith somewhere, what we look for then are promises. Here's what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then it goes on to tell us how that divine power has channeled that ability to us. It says it, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So when we look to connect with divine power, where we start is connecting with an understanding of who God is, our knowledge of him. And then it says, 
of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by desires. So it's pretty practical, pretty specific. God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. This comes through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, and his glory and goodness channeled the ability to be who God wants us to be through the promises. Through them, we participate in the divine nature, not just imitate it, participate it. We experience God's power. That gives us the, the ability to do what he wants us to do, which is love. And not only it gives us the ability to do the do's, it gives us the ability to not do the don'ts. It says his promises allow us to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by desire. So that's our answer. What does God want from us to express faith through love? Love is the what? Faith is the how. What do we place our faith in? His promises. Challenging thing is there's different sets of promises in the Bible. One set of promises leads to faith expressing itself through love that can allow us to do what God wants us to do, and the other does not. I'm going to read what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what it says. The former regulation, and in the context, that's describing the old covenant and the old covenant promises. It is the old regulation, the former regulation that has been replaced by the new regulation, the new covenant. But listen to what it says about the former regulation. Um, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Again, the former regulation is the old covenant. How well did these promises enable people to express faith through love? Relative to this goal, what the writer says that the old covenant and its promises were weak and useless. Now, this doesn't represent a failure on God's part. The old covenant was never intended to be permanent. That's why the glory faded from Moses' face. It was always God's intention to replace the old covenant with a new one. So in order to express faith through love, to be able to, to use the how to get to the what, we need to place our faith in new covenant promises. And the Ten Commitments, I think, help in this respect. They, they express God's new covenant promises. Uh, the first eight, the commitments one through eight, are taken from two passages in the book of Hebrews that talk about the new covenant messenger, the first four, 
and the new covenant message, the commitments five through eight. Hebrews 4.14 to 5.2 is the first passage. And from that passage, that's the foundation of commitments one through four. As I was looking through that some time ago, I said, that's it. this helps us to understand what we need to focus on with respect to Jesus. And here's what Hebrews 4.14 to 5.2 says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men, is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. We get commitments one through four. From there, we're going to re-overview them, and we're going to look at them one at a time over the course of the next 10 weeks. Commitment number one is God sees you. God sees you. Here's what it says. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen, everything, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Simply say, it says that God sees you. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. Secondly, it says, and this is wonderful, if you have somebody who sees you, it depends on what they're feeling. But it says God sympathizes with you. It says, verse 15 of Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who was enabled to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. God sees you, but he also sympathizes with you. And commitment three, God deals gently with you. Is what it says. Every high priest, chapter 5, verse 1, is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. God sees you. God sympathizes with you. God deals gently with you. God loves you. Again, love in the Bible is very practical. Here's what it says in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Love in the Bible is providing somebody with what they need in a time of need. And what God assures us is that we find grace and receive mercy to help us in our time of need. God loves us, and he, he expresses that love practically. So there's commitments one through four. 
from Hebrews 4.14 to 5.2, God sees you. God sympathizes with you. God deals gently with you, and he loves you. These are strongly biblically based in the new covenant. Hebrews 8, 10 through 13, is, and we find that's the passage from which commitments 5 through 8 come. Let me read that verse, Hebrews 8, 10 through 13. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Commitment number five, God changes you. And what it says, as part of the new covenant, God says, I will put my laws in their minds and will write them on their hearts. In the old covenant, God wrote his laws on tablets of stone. And it was something outside of ourselves that we had to look at and try to pattern our life after. That's not the way it works with the new covenant. God puts his laws in our minds and writes them on our hearts. And what that means is that he creates the responsiveness in us. He takes responsibility to place these things on our heart. As part of the old covenant, it was the responsibility of priests and parents to drill these commandments into the lives of their children and the people. It was the responsibility of parents and priests. What God does in the new covenant is he assumes responsibility to create this responsiveness in our hearts. Because he assumes the responsibility, he absolves us of that responsibility. It's not incumbent upon us to create this responsiveness. What God says, he changes us. And that's what he wants us to believe. That's commitment five. Commitment six, God chooses you. That's what it says. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. It describes what it means when God is our God and we are his people. What it means is that he gives us singleness of heart and action so that we always fear him. Again, what it says, God assumes responsibility for doing what will allow us to know him. He creates the responsiveness. And you might say, well, if that's on God's shoulders, what he wants from us? He wants us to put our faith in these promises. See, that's the how. That's the how. Love is the what. Faith is the how. What does he want us to believe in? What does he want us to place our faith in? That he sees you. He sympathizes with you. deals gently with you. When he loves you, he changes you. He chooses you. Commitment seven, good is ahead of you. 
It describes what happens when God takes responsibility. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice, rejoice in doing them good. What it means, if God then is making these promises, what we can believe is that good is ahead of us. Good is ahead of us. When we think of the fact, well, how could good be ahead of me? Because, you know, I've really done a lot of lousy things, and I've, I haven't done what God's asked. I have not done what he wanted me to do. And I have done what he didn't want me to do. And so certainly that's going to get in the way of me experiencing good. You know, only different people than me can believe promises like this. And no, commitment eight, not only good is ahead of you, it's guaranteed because here's what the, here's what the meat of the new covenant says. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Sin does not get in the way of your ability to experience God's promises. These promises are not contingent upon what you do. They're contingent upon what he does. They're not contingent upon your commitment. They're contingent upon his. And when we place our faith, move it from what our commitments to him are to what his commitments to us are, that's the how. That's the how. We place faith in his promises. The commitments 9 and 10 help us to focus on what can we expect if we focus on these promises, if our faith becomes deeper in them, what will God do? I mean, will we experience a life of miracles? What? are realistic expectations. I think that's important to clarify. And 9 and 10 seem to be those things that are the fruit of faith in the Bible. Uh, God gives you the power to persevere. The power to persevere is something that that divine power gives us. When God gives us his divine power, gives us from everything, everything we need for life and godliness, what life and godliness require biblically is the ability to persevere, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Unfortunately, it says, Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Anybody tired of dealing with COVID? You know, tired of avoiding the things that we want to be able to experience, fatigued, weary of dealing with it? Get weary in a number of different ways. Fortunately, God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. It's one of the things we can express to God, God, I'm tired, I'm weary. And it's not something that he chastises us for. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. says even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Not only does he give give you the power to persevere, he gives you the power to be content. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, living in plenty or living in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So God gives us the power to persevere and the the power to be content. Well, that's 
the commitments that we'll look at over the course of the next 10 weeks. God sees you and God sympathizes with you. God deals gently with you. He loves you. He changes you, his responsibility. He chooses you because that's so good is ahead of you. Good is guaranteed to you. He gives you the power to persevere. God gives you the power to be content. That's what he wants us to believe in. And as we increase in our capacity to believe, we find love flowing from us to others, ourselves, and him. Remember what counts in the Bible? The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love, expressed through love. Love is the one. Faith in God's new covenant promises and his commitments, that's the how. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for your commitments to us. We easily focus, naturally focus on our commitments to you, and that's upside down. We don't, faith doesn't go on ourselves. We place our faith in you. And when we do that, you give us the power to experience life and godliness. You give us the power to persevere and the power to be content even when things aren't going our way. Continue to teach us about your commitments to us. In Jesus' name, amen.